0: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to make our lives happier, healthier, more productive and more creative and more fun. This week we'll talk about why you should make your own art and we'll discuss a happiness stumbling block that has been described as a type of behavior that is especially powerful in creating negative transactional patterns. Yikes. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, outer order, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, whom I witnessed attempting to make her own art recently.
1: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I I don't think I succeeded in that endeavor, but I'm glad that I inspired you nonetheless. Yes,
0: yes, yes, you did. Um, before we launch in, we want to say happy birthday to our mother. Her birthday is July 4th tomorrow, so yes, which is a very happy, happy— birthday, Mom. It's a good birthday. July 4th is a good birthday in the United States, um, so happy birthday, Mom. Um, and in episode 224, we talked about the idea that we talk about every year about design your summer, and we got some great ideas from listeners.
1: Yeah, this one's from Judy. She says, I adopted Ollie from a shelter in D.C. the fall after my mother passed away in 2006. He's an old pup now, 15, but still doing well. Knowing that our time with him is limited, we are planning to do fun things this summer where he is able to go. For example, this weekend, we'll go to dog friendly wineries in Loudoun County, Virginia. A big part of our plan is Pups in the Park, a chance to bring Ollie to both major and minor league ballparks. This past week, we made it to Camden Yards in Baltimore for their one of two such nights there. We also went on Sunday to our local semi-pro league game in York, Pennsylvania, which offers dog-friendly games every Sunday for no cost. He's already been with us to an event at a Washington Nationals game back at the end of April, too. Next up, Harrisburg
0: Senators Wet Nose Wednesday. (laughs) I love that. That's such a fun idea. I didn't even know such a thing existed. Um, That is really great. This one comes from Caitlin, and I love this idea. I may have to do this next summer. Caitlin writes, I just wanted to let you know my summer plan was inspired by one of your gold stars and your love of children's literature. This is my drum roll: summer of Harry Potter. Though I Mm -hmm. adored the series as a child, I have not returned to it. I've been wanting to listen to the Jim Dale audiobooks, but what can be done at any time is often done at no time. So it was always getting pushed off my list. Enter the summer of Harry Potter. I am listening to them during free time and walking to and from work. I then alternate and listen to the Binge Mode Harry Potter podcast (laughs) for the chapters I've just read. Oh, I love Binge Mode. I love all the insights and the things that I missed when reading them in the past. Plus, audiobooks and podcasts are a perfect activity for getting out and walking around or lounging on my patio. I also decided to take my summer beyond the books and fully immerse myself. I took a sorting quiz... Yay, Hufflepuff, and plan to watch all the movies since I've never watched them all in order. And in a serendipitous twist, have been knitting up a Ravenclaw scarf for my husband after he loved the stripe pattern when he saw it in my local yarn shop. It isn't in the cards to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando this summer, but I'm going to plan a fantasy trip there so I can hopefully go and really appreciate it this winter or next year. My summer theme has made my off-work hours so much happier. Thanks for the podcast and the great gold star recommendations of Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes, that is a podcast. If you love Harry Potter, if you love Game of Thrones, um, Binge Mode is a fantastic podcast.
1: Yeah, and Gretchen, this comes from Stephanie. She says... I'm a hardcore obliger and have decided to do a no-spend June to really focus on necessities and planning our expenses while cutting out impulse buys and extra stuff. Because I've learned I need outer accountability, I've shared my goals with my group of friends on our group text chain so that they can call me out if I share about some deal I snagged or a purchase I'm pondering. In order to design our summer, I asked my four-year-old what kind of adventures he wants to do this summer. He's come up with everything from swimming to the zoo to go to another state. Thanks for inspiring so many positive changes in our family's life.
0: I like go to another state because it's like to a little kid that seems yeah. so significant. And you're like, this is manageable. Like you know yes. what I mean? We can get to another. We grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, which is in like Kansas was yes. literally we lived on state line. We lived. Yes. we lived across the street from and even to us. It's like state line. I'm like in the middle. I'm in the middle of two states. It's like it's exciting when you're a little kid.
1: Um, And Gretchen, you have to um, tell us how are you doing with your design your summer? Because you are going to have the summer of Proust.
0: The summer of Proust is underway. Yes, I uh, have read Swan's Way which is the first volume in uh, the Remembrance of Things Past. Um, Several uh, uh, literary listeners um, have asked which translation that I have picked. I have picked Mm. the Moncrief translation because I hear great things about the Lydia Davis translation, but I felt like I wanted sort of the classic one. I like sort of the King James Version. Um, and I have to say, I loved it. I wasn't sure whether oh, I would actually like Proust, or if I was just going to do it because I thought I should. But I actually—it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I want to go back, and like, I'm eager to go back and pick up the book because I want to—I want to keep reading. So that was—that was a real pleasure. So now, next up, uh, within a budding grove, I think is the name of the next volume. But yes, I'm doing it. All right. All right. So this week, our tried This at Home tip is to make your own art. And Elizabeth, you, you, I saw this in action. We were in Minneapolis. uh, It was the day of our live show in Minneapolis. And so we were walking around. We were in the Guthrie exploring. We were in the amber box of the Guthrie Theater. And I saw that you were intently photographing um, out the window. And I said, what are you doing? And you said, I want to make my own art. So explain.
1: Yes, and let me explain what the amber box is, Gretchen. Uh, yes, um, yeah. the The Guthrie is this really gorgeous, interesting building in Minneapolis. That's a theater, but it has off the side of it. I mean, exactly what it sounds like—an amber box yeah. um, that you can go in, and the and the windows are all yellow, um, gold, yellow, um, and it's very beautiful. So you and I saw this box from the ground, and we yeah. were like, "What's that?" We ended up in the box um, in the building. And yeah, I was um, taking pictures um, because I have known several people who make their own art to hang in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, we all suffer often from blank walls. And if you can't afford like really fantastic art, um, there is a solution. You can make your own art.
0: Yeah. Well, we saw this gold flower sign and and I have to, you were taking pictures of it. And I and it, it's like this very cool sign, old sign. And you, and, and you were like, I'm going to make my own art. And I thought, that's perfect because that really is the aesthetic of your house. Like, I could exactly see a giant photograph of that framed in your house because it, it really is in keeping with the look of your house.
1: Yeah, and this is something really I became aware of years ago, the idea of making your own art when um, Jeff Berg, who we've talked about the Schultzes um, in Kansas City, are great friends. And Jeff is married um, to Jamie Schultz and he started making art for their house, and it looks fantastic. And um, we I was so impressed with it, and Adam was so impressed with this idea that he got inspired.
0: Well, I can see, especially how Adam would be drawn to it. Like, he has got a great eye, a great visual eye. His sister is an artist. Um, and, you know, and the, the thing is, it's so exciting when you create something that's really worth preserving and hanging up. I mean, you have the the pleasure of whatever it is, but then you also have the pleasure of the fact that you made it. Um, so that's got to be sort of like doubly like a like a, a an extra punch of seeing something hanging on your wall. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I unfortunately, Gretchen, did not get a photo that was good enough to um, frame and put on the wall no. the, from the amber box. Um, but, you know, I tried and who knows, maybe next time I'll get an amazing shot.
0: Well, doesn't your Sarah Bain, your writing partner and your co-host for Happier in Hollywood, she does this right? Like, doesn't didn't she make a big sign for the top of her stairs that had like her one of her one-word themes? Or I feel like I remember you guys talking about this on the Happier in Hollywood podcast.
1: um, You know what Sarah does a lot is she commissions art.
0: Ooh, so an up-and-coming
1: artist, she'll say, "Hey, can you make this for me?" So she has. One that says, how motivated are you hanging in her bathroom Mm. that an artist we know made. So she'll commission pieces, which is another thing to do. Um, And then Sarah also will make her own art. I remember way back in like 2000, Sarah painting some flowers and framing them and hanging them up and I thought, "Oh my god, I would never have <laughs> yeah. the boldness yeah. to hang my own art when I have, you know, zero talent." But Sarah's also got a great eye and, and is, you know, able to make pretty things. Uh, but it really it is great because there's no reason that you have to have blank walls just right. because, you know, you can't afford fancy art.
0: One, it has special meaning for you if you – if whatever it is or that you did it yourself, it will have special meaning. And also, I think, like, even though this is not an advertising section, I think that we <laughs> have to mention FrameBridge. Um, of course. Because FrameBridge does make it so easy to get things framed. And I think a lot of times it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I have this really cool photograph, but I can't even face the idea of framing it. Um, and uh and the idea, like when I had your logo, the happier in Hollywood logo, like I had a little frame yes. like for you to hang by your desk. It's like I love it. I mean, is that art? I mean, in a sense, it's art. I mean, it's something cool to hang. And it was so effortless because I just like emailed the JPEG in and they yeah. picked a the frame. <laughs> yeah. I call that art. But... I call that art. Make your own art. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so let us know if you do try this at home and how making your own art works for you. Let us know. Post a picture of your art. We would love to yes. see what is your art. I think part of this is just feeling like, I can do this. Like, I can make something. I can hang it, you know?
1: It's, yes, stepping out of your comfort zone. If you're not an artist, making art is really um, liberating.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Post it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And as always, um, you can... Uh, go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 228 for everything related to this episode. I will take a picture of Elizabeth's failed art. I will post a picture of the <laughs> gold flower sign so you can see what she was trying to capture. I think your pictures look pretty good, but, um, you know.
1: They're just just—they're not bad, but they're not worthy of the wall. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a line, but I'm, I'm going to keep trying, Gretch. There you go. Coming up, we've got a transition strategy happiness hack, but first this break.
0: Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Gret, you know
1: I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com/happier. That's n-o-o-m.com/happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/happier to start your trial today. And now it's time for a happiness hack.
1: Yes, and Gretch, this hack comes from Agnes. She says, I was listening to episode 224 where a listener asked for ideas for a possible ritual to mark our transition from one task slash sphere to the next. It reminded me of my high school boyfriend. In his family, they differentiated between work slash school clothes and work clothes. So after coming home from school or work, they would change clothes. And when I thought of it some more, I realized my father would do a similar thing, taking off his jacket and tie when he got home. That might be something she can develop into her routine, like taking off a jacket and trading it for something slightly more comfortable.
0: Now, this is a great idea because this I have to say, is a classic transition strategy. This is something that people often do to mark transitions. And so you don't want to overlook it because it has enormous power. I mean, just think back to Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mm -hmm, The mm -hmm. opening, the super famous opening was him walking in, taking off his work jacket and putting on his cardigan, taking off his loafers and tying on his sneakers. And, you know, that is the signal, the visual signal and like the signal to your body I'm making myself more comfortable. I'm coming, to, I'm I'm transitioning from kind of one role to another role. And, you know, in this case, I've come home. You know, now I'm in, now I'm home, I'm relaxed. And my, and so my clothes change to reflect that change.
1: Yeah, Gretchen, um, David Hoberman, who's a producer um, we've worked with, we've interviewed him on Happier in Hollywood. He told us that when he first got like this, a really big job at Disney, um, where he was just working all hours, he would put on a baseball cap whenever he wasn't working. Mm. And that was his symbol that he was free. Um, And wearing a baseball cap to him always makes him feel like he's in relaxation mode.
0: Well, and that's probably good, too, because it kind of reminds me, like, should I go run and check my emails? It's like, no, I've got my baseball cap on. It's it's a reminder to yourself as well as a signal to everyone who sees you. Um, A friend of mine who had a big job, she told me that she realized the atmosphere in her house was completely dependent on when she put on her pajamas. Because as Uh. soon as she was sort of off-duty— she would put on her pajamas, even if it was like right after work and early. Um, but if she had to go out again to another event, she would stay in her clothes. And she she realized that her children were very much like, is it pajama time or not pajama time? And again, mm. like she didn't even realize that she was that this had become a transistent signal. And yet it really was. So you can you can harness that.
1: And then, Gretch, I have to mention um, the ABC uh, sitcom, The Goldbergs. Um, yeah. My friend Adam Goldberg created it. And in the show, um, the father, who's played by Jeff Garland, the second he walks in the door after work, he takes off his pants <laughs> like, right at the doorway <laughs> and then just walks around the rest of the night in his underwear and his shirt. Um, and what's funny is this was inspired by Adam's actual father, who did the same thing. Oh, so. really? Um, Adam had told us that his dad always did that. And then it was just funny to see it on the show. Right. um, Jeff Garland doing the same thing in in so many episodes. So so this is a thing. The whole changing clothes um, in case we wonder if our clothes like have meaning it's like they they definitely signal us um, to our state of mind
0: yeah well this transition issue is a really important thing i think for for a lot of people in a lot of contexts, which is how do you how do you move smoothly through these transitions so um so thank you agnes for that um a a reminder of a real of a classic classic strategy and now it's a time to talk about a happiness stumbling block and this is a happiness stumbling block that is related to kind of an, it's, it's one flavor of an overarching stumbling block, which is when we don't understand how others perceive our actions. This can take many, many forms, and it's often a happiness stumbling block.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this with teasing, how research shows that people doing the teasing perceive it to be lighthearted and fun, while the people on the receiving end of that teasing experience it to be much meaner and more upsetting.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or you might ask a question that you think is innocuous without considering that it might be upsetting for someone else, like, have you found a job yet, or when are you going to start a family, We need to think about other people and how they're affected by our words and actions.
0: Right. Because a lot of times, like, we're creating uh, an atmosphere without realizing it because we don't realize how others are perceiving our actions. So I think about this for myself. I I walk around in a fog, and I often feel like I don't think enough about how I'm behaving in social situations. And so I'm really pushing myself to try to pay more attention. And I was thinking about this recently because I read this very interesting book by Mitch Prinstein called Popular. Finding Happiness and Success in a World That Cares Too Much About the Wrong Kind of Relationships. Now, the the book is mostly focused on, like, the idea of likability, which is, like, how how much you're liked, versus status, which is how high status you are, because both of those ideas are wrapped up in the idea of popularity. So most of the book is about that. And what Prinstein argues is that Popularity is partly a reflection of how others regard us, obviously, but it's also a product of how we treat others. And so there's a cycle of interaction there. And with regards to that, he talks about a type of behavior that is especially powerful in creating a negative transactional pattern.
1: So what is this negative transactional pattern?
0: This is something that I think will be familiar to all of us, whether you've done it or seen it done, experienced it done, which is something called excessive reassurance-seeking. And this is something that often comes up in romance, but it also comes up in friendship, and it can even come up uh, with, like, an employee and a boss. And um, Prinstein writes, Excessive reassurance-seeking sets up a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. The constant questioning and doubting of a reassurance-seeker can make an individual from whom reassurance is sought feel distrusted, stressed, and ineffective. Eventually, the pressure to continually reassure causes them to withdraw. And what's interesting, and how it relates to this overall stumbling block, is that often people who engage in this pattern don't understand how their behavior is actually eliciting the rejection. They're they're focusing on the person they doubt. They're like, give me reassurance. Is this okay? Are we good? Like, do you really love me? Am I really your good friend? Am I doing a good job? And they don't see how their reassurance-seeking is actually causing that person to retreat. So they don't understand how they're creating the very thing that they fear, which is that someone is pulling away.
1: Yeah, and Gretchen, I have to say, I think I am guilty of this. I think I do this with Adam. I think part of it is being a person who likes words of affirmation when we talk about the five love languages. I think that can lead you, lead one, to ask for reassurance. And it is... I have noticed very annoying to the person being asked. Um so I'm going to try to check my own behavior on this front.
0: Well, it's funny because I mean words of affirmation like we've talked about this cuz that's both of our uh, love languages. You you just think to yourself, "Why is it so hard? Just tell me what I well, need to hear. Just like give me give me the reassurance, give me the words of affirmation and I'll just I'll just walk off happy." And we don't realize, like, how that's being perceived. And so there was this Princeton did research with a group of adolescents, and what he found is that adolescents who engaged in excessive reassurance-seeking reported that their friends had started to become angry with the behavior and were telling them to stop. But the adolescents who sought reassurance just couldn't understand how this was negatively affecting their relationships. But while they still enjoyed the friendships, their friends had a different perspective, And the more frequently in the first year of friendship, this behavior was reported, by the end of year two of the research, many of those relationships were troubled or ended altogether. So this is something where like it really can cause people to pull back and maybe pull back to the point that they end the relationship. Um, Which could be, I mean, leads to like the biggest stumbling blocks of all. Right. Yeah. Which is like
1: not having friends and having relationship issues. So, yeah. Right. I mean, this is a hugely important behavior to look at and see if if, you know, someone may be doing it.
0: Yeah. Right. Because, again, it's like the teasing or the questioning. On your side, it feels very much one way, but to the person on the other side, they're experiencing something very different. And sometimes I think just by having that view of like, it's not just me, it's a, a relationship, it's an engagement pattern, that can help you step back and say like, okay, I need to, I need to figure out how to change the dynamic of this relationship. Because um, as you say, it can lead you to a very ironic result, which is that yes. exactly what you feared has come to pass. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And now, listener answer. Usually we tackle listener questions, but from time to time, we have a listener who is asking for answers, and we're turning to you for answers. This is a really interesting, complex question, and we want to hear all of your answers. What answers and suggestions would you have for Tanya?
1: Yes. Tanya said... Love your podcast. It's my daily happiness boost. Right now, I really need one. I was wondering if you have advice on dealing with a working severance. Recently, my company was bought by another company and as a result, I was let go. Only I wasn't let go right away. I was given a working severance, which means I have to work for two whole months before leaving. I'm really struggling with this. What makes matters worse is that I was the only one in my department to be let go. So all day I'm surrounded by people talking about the new company and excited about their new jobs. I feel left out and to be honest, a little bitter. I know they're excited about this new opportunity and it doesn't make sense that they should have to stop talking about it around me Yet every time they do, I feel more and more distanced and sad that I wasn't asked to come along on this journey too. As a result, this has been torture for me. I try to think about the positives. I'll have the summer off. I wasn't sure I even wanted the job anyway. I basically get paid to look for a new job. But no matter what, I still come back to negative thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm being left behind. I'm never going to find a new job. They all still have each other and I have no one, etc. I really just want to screw it and forego my severance just to get out of this everyday stress, but I need the money. Do you have any advice on how to survive this with my relationships and mental health intact? Well, Gretchen, I mean, what, like, a, a dilemma. This is a tough situation.
0: This is a really, really tough situation, and it sounds like she's already doing a lot of things to try to reframe it and look for the positives and, you know, and see that, but it's a tough situation. I mean, I, yeah, this is and also it's sort of like you think, well, I should they shouldn't have to stop talking about it just because of me. But on the other hand, it's like this makes me feel terrible to hear you guys talking about it
1: like, yes, they could definitely be more sensitive. But I totally understand that she doesn't want to say, hey, don't talk yeah. about that. She'll sound petty and, and as she said, bitter. Yeah. So I would love to hear what listeners um, think Tanya can do, because I understand like she needs the money. She doesn't yeah. want to you know, forego that when she doesn't know what her next job is. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. So what have you been through a a similar situation? How did you get through it? Do you have any great advice? Any suggestions? Um, This is a really tough one. So we want to hear lots of answers and we will tackle this in an upcoming episode. So thank you, Tanya, for presenting that. I think it's a situation that a lot of people can identify with.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Coming up, I give myself a reading related happiness demerit. But first this break.
0: Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and this is your week to be up for a demerit.
1: All right, Gretchen, my demerit this week, and I don't know if I've had this one before, is that I am suffering major reading paralysis. Ooh,
0: what's what's that exactly?
1: Well, I was doing really well with reading, just reading one book after another, loving it, enjoying myself, and then I got inundated with so many things to read, both for pleasure and for work, that I just froze, and now I can't make myself read anything. (laughs)
0: I've, I've had that exact thing happen to me. And what I find is that's when I start like rereading copies of Entertainment Weekly that I already read, yes. or I'm like flipping through the New Yorker again. I'm like, what? You're like, Because I'm just, you kind of were stalled. Um, yeah, it's like anytime I think about reading something, I feel bad that I'm
1: not reading something yes. else. And I get like a pit in my stomach. And so I just like put it off and, you know, Watch TV instead.
0: This is a terrible thing that happens where you have so much to do that you feel like to do any one thing means you're not, you're affirmatively not doing anything else. And so you can't do anything because that to do one thing means that you're turning your back on everything else. So what are you going to do to get yourself out of this paralysis? I I
1: don't know. What should I do? Give me some advice.
0: Well, when I feel this way, what I would say is like sort of create a reading roadmap for yourself and like you probably have stuff kind of all over your house that you're like, where's this? Mm -hmm. I should be reading that. I would like make a list. What do you want to read for work? What do you want to read for fun? Uh, The stuff you want to read for work you know, in what order? Like, I'm sure some things are more time-pressing than others. Some, maybe you need to, like, get a sense of it, so you have to read, like, 50 pages and flip through it. Mm-hmm. Other things you really need to read. So, like, I think if you had a list and then actually maybe even made a stack of the books, so at least they were all in one place, so that you, you didn't have that feeling, like, everywhere I go, I'm sort of being jolted into the memory. Oh, I should be looking at that. I got to pick that thing up. But then when you want it, it's not, you can't find it. So I I would kind of create a centralized map of where these books are and what you want to do in what order so that you don't have that feeling of whatever I'm doing, I'm doing the wrong thing. You're like, I'm doing what I need to do most pressing. Um,
1: Okay, that's a good idea. I need and I should do hopefully the fastest things first. Like you're saying, if there's things I just need to read 50 pages of or flip through, I should just X those off the list so I can move on to like full books.
0: Where you're doing like an actual reading of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to try. Hopefully I will be unstuck and I, you know, I can get a lot of reading done this yeah. week. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Okay, Gretch, that's me. What is your gold star?
0: Well, I'm going to give a gold star to Barnaby, our dog. I've given Aww. him gold stars before, but I was just thinking, you know, I want to give him a gold star to Barnaby and to all dogs, I think, or maybe all pets, <laughs> that I really do get such immense pleasure just from his quiet presence. You know, like I'll come home sometimes and I'll go, up to my, I'll go to my office and he'll come with me. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And when he does come with me to my office, I feel so flattered. I'm like, he wants to hang out with me. <laughs> but it's just like having this quiet presence in our apartment really just adds a lot. Um I really, I really appreciate it. Well, Gretch,
1: as a can I make a sisterly observation, yeah. which is you've gone from sort of liking the idea of a bigger life mm-hmm. and being happy that you're someone who would get a dog. Yeah. To actually just loving your dog. Yes. So I think you've crossed over
0: <laughs> into dog lover yeah. territory. I, so that's <laughs> growth. That is. I have to say, every member of my family got there before I did, but I'm there now. Yeah. 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 So, uh, gold star to you, Grudge. Oh, thank you. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Make your own art. Let us know if you tried it. Post photos of your art. We want to see it and we want to know if it worked for you. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck
1: Reed. Thank you to our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram, at gretchenrubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at
0: You know what to do. Tell a friend about the Happier Podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate and review us. Oh, we so appreciate it. Uh, the resources for this week, if you love quotations as much as I love quotations you can sign up for my moment of happiness newsletter it's free and you will get a daily wonderful quotation in your inbox go to gretchenrubin.com slash hashtag newsletter yes that's a little weird slash hashtag newsletter and it'll give you a thing where you can sign up for the moment of happiness so you want to sign up for the daily happiness quotation and also uh, on the four tendencies if you would like to do an in-person workshop um, to teach people about the four tendencies. Say at work or with the team, um, you can get all the information you want at workshop.gretchenrubin.com. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft and I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. So, Elizabeth, what are some of these books that you're that are in your pile that you're, you're not reading? Well,
1: several of them are things I need to read for our potential book club.
0: Oh, well, those you've got to read. You can put those on the top <laughs> of the stack. We got to, <laughs> okay. we got to, we got to have our lineup from the Onward Project.